And then today, I'm pleased to introduce Carol Neiman, who's no stranger to most of you. She is one of my Wednesday night small group leaders, and I'm always glad to have her come and teach for me. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'll bring Carol up to uh, lead us this morning. Father, thank you so much for just the privilege to be able to go to your word. And Lord, I thank you that you are the bread of life, that you meet every need that we have. Not every want, but every need. And Father, thank you that you are teaching us about this through your word. Thank you that you want to be our bread of life. And so I pray for Carol as she comes now. Lord, speak powerfully through her. Lead her and guide her. Open our ears to hear your message to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I, I, am I on? I'm on. Okay. I am. This is a low blow today to talk about appetites <laughs> after we've had two big holiday seasons. But I'm not going to talk about ways you need to curb your appetite today. Last uh, last year, we had a unique experience of having our daughter and her family and her big dog live with us for quite a while, and, and it was a joy, and it was a delight, and there were lots of, of new and different things, and one of those was that there were two women in the kitchen together working, and then lots of happy hands helping to clean up afterwards, so hurrah, but... Uh, it was a relief to have somebody else plan menus. Uh, they learned to like some of the things I made in my slow cooker and vice versa. Uh, but one thing that happened for two retired folks who have gotten set in their ways is that Stacy introduced us to some foods that had not been a regular part of our menu go for it. Yeah, (laughs) that was good. So here are a few of the new appetites we developed because they were living with us. I did not know that avocado could be a breakfast food. Yes, okay. Jim and I had never been fans of buffalo chicken wings, but... (gasps) They come in all kinds of flavors, so now we keep some in our freezer. Stacy would come home from the grocery with her big brown bag, and I'd think, oh boy, there's going to be something in there I've never tasted before. (laughs) And I came to love the seasonal peppermint mocha coffee creamer. And one thing that I'm going to be enjoying till I have tasted all the flavors, Talenti's Gelato in the little plastic containers. It was on sale. Oh, thank you, Stacy. (laughs) Another thing, another appetite that we developed uh, as older folks, we had never shopped at Trader Joe's. Enough said, okay? (laughs) Our appetites changed, and and so I think that affected why I approached talking about Jesus, I am the bread of life, from the standpoint of appetites. 
we need to have an appetite for the bread of life. John himself said this is why he wrote the gospel. They'd been written, the events included, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we would have life in his name. John 20, 31. An appetite for believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, belief that brings eternal life, and appetites certainly rolled through the story of the fish and loaves, very much a narrative of appetites. And we want to give thanks for the fact that at some point in our lives as believers, God gave us that appetite for his precious son. So we're going to look first at the different appetites in this narrative. Then we're going to look at God's gift of the bread of life. We're going to look at things that spoil our appetites and spoil the appetites of the the early Jewish people there at that time and how to apply it to our lives. So the narrative of fish and loaves begins with human need. Um, What we have was an appetite that compelled 5,000 men plus women plus children to come seek out Jesus near the Sea of Galilee. And at that point, they weren't really thinking about physical hunger. They had a human yearning for wholeness. They sought his miracles, certainly. They sought physical healing. They sought more of the compassionate teaching and authority of the amazing rabbi, Jesus. And so he interacted with the people throughout the day, and he had compassion for their imminent need of food. There was a physical appetite. They were gathered in an isolated place. It was getting late, and there was not a practical solution. Jesus did not want to send them away, so he kind of put this dilemma into the hands of his disciples. They were overwhelmed. There was no Trader Joe's, no money for a caterer, and it seemed that all that that crowd could bring into play was just a little basket of a child's lunch. Jesus had asked them to do the impossible because he knew that he himself would be the solution. And this set the stage for that amazing miracle, bread and fish in abundance, people fed, appetite satisfied, tons of leftovers, and the people themselves made a very interesting connection between the great provision of bread and their own history as the people of God. So this miracle fueled a different appetite. They now had an appetite for their expectations to be filled. Aha! Could this man be the prophet, the deliverer, who might rescue us from our plight as people under Roman rule? Moses had delivered people from the Pharaoh. Moses had given manna in the desert. Perhaps that's who Jesus is. In fact, Jesus himself perceived that they intended to take him by force to make him king. 
so he got out of the way. The next day, the people wanted second helpings. They crowded around him again. Not the whole crowd, but many, and they sought him, and he cut through to their obvious motives for coming after him. They were not responding to the signs that pointed to Jesus as being sent from God the Father. Rather, they hoped that he was the one who could change their national circumstance, relieve the poverty and suffering, and, and yes, provide more food. Jesus, instead, spoke to their real need, which was for spiritual food. He told them, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. A very extraordinary food, one that endured to eternal life, one that was given by the Son of Man. And who was the Son of Man? The one on whom God had set his seal, God's seal of approval, God's authorization, God's establishing his son Jesus as the agent of redemption. Well, the people missed the wording, gift, and immediately asked, what do we do? How do we work for this food? Jesus said, your need is for belief. And they said, okay. Okay, what are the works we do? If we've got to believe, what are the signs that you're going to do so that we will believe? They grumbled. They had unhealthy appetites. They said, huh, who are you? Who have you been? We know your mother and your father. Let us see another sign, another miracle, as if they had not already seen. Jesus told them in John 6:36, "You have seen me, and yet do not believe." Because their perception was skewed. Even their historical viewpoint of Moses was off. The manna in the wilderness was certainly a daily miracle. Moses may have been an agent on earth, but the whole event was intended to point the people to God as their provider, the giver of the manna, to remind them they could believe in God, they could trust in him, they could rest in his leading, and they could obey him with confidence. They missed the point then, they are missing it now. Even though they had seen Jesus walking in and among them, they had watched his life, seen his miracles, seen his power, heard his authority. The Israelites' history was one of struggling to believe. And so their legacy had become one of grumbling and murmuring and complaining and expressing contempt. There was grumbling because they had an interest in God, but on their own terms. They wanted to reduce the person of Jesus Christ either to an earthly deliverer or an agent, but not the anointed Messiah. They wanted to argue over the imagery that he presented about bread and body and flesh 
and believing and eating. That was not new imagery to the children of Israel. Their Old Testament writings had used metaphor and imagery to focus on the spiritual life and the relationship that people had with God the Father. The imagery pointed ahead to Messiah through the Passover lamb, its blood, and its body, through the contents of the tabernacle and symbols, through what we read in the Psalms and in the prophets, ultimately pointing ahead to the broken flesh and the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. They wanted God, but wanted him on their own terms. So Jesus continued the patient dialogue of teaching. He explained to them about the gift of the bread of life, that God the Father gives us both the appetite and the gift of his Son, and the promise that comes with his Son. That's everlasting life, that's being God's child, it's an enduring relationship, one not to be broken. I've listed several specific verses, but he says the one who comes to him won't be cast out. The one who beholds the Son and believes will have eternal life and will be raised up on the last day. The one that comes to Jesus has been drawn by the Father. It is written in the prophets, they shall be taught of God, and everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So there was a clear invitation in relationship to the bread of life that they come, they believe, they eat, and then they live. Uh, who did I, I talk to? Martha Reardon. And we commiserate sometimes. We both had broken bones. And sometimes we take for granted the miracle that operates in our physical bodies. Uh, there are all kinds of physical processes so that our bones, in the right circumstance, heal. We don't have to engineer any new kind of activity to make them heal. Our bones were created that way. Uh, food goes through an amazing biochemical change because God created amazing biochemical paths to assimilate our physical food into our physical bodies so that we have cells that make us have new fingernails. And we have cells that fight off disease. We eat food, and God has created a way to change that food into energy so that we can have physical movement into electrical impulses that we hope still work to help us think. <laughs> uh, and into senses with which we comprehend the world around us. I mean, that is amazing. It's extraordinary what happens to the physical food because of how God engineered that to be assimilated into our physical bodies. Well, ladies, it is far more amazing the miracle of assimilating the spiritual bread, the bread of life, who is Jesus Christ, into our lives to bring life to sustain life, and to give us a hope for life. 
So I'm going to make a little comparison. I couldn't figure out how to put it all on PowerPoints. If you want to put a column for physical bread and a column for spiritual bread, go for it. Uh, (laughs) Physical bread, it grows stale. It deteriorates. The bread of life is eternal. It is enduring. Physical bread requires work of some sort to make it palatable and usable by our bodies. The bread of life is a free gift of grace from God, instituted because of our faith and our belief. Physical bread feeds, energizes, sustains the physical body. The bread of life brings life to a soul that was dead in trespasses. Physical bread is needed to sustain daily life. If we go too long without eating, we are not well. Uh, If we don't eat the right kind of physical food, we are not well. Spiritual life is daily sustained, daily nourished, daily energized by the living bread which is Jesus Christ, God's Son. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. But seeing Jesus for all that he is and believing in him gives us eternal life and gives us what we need to live down on this earth daily lives as his children. Well, the people were gathered in this crowd to see and to hear from Jesus. Some of them understood That question, do you not yet understand? They understood, and they got it. They stayed with Jesus. They believed. They partook. But we are told further in that chapter in John that some turned away. Some grumbled and murmured and left. Our pastor, Cole Huffman, said it well. This is a plug for his book, Uh, Jesus could miraculously fill stomachs just as he had restored limbs to functionality and he healed diseases. Filling the stomach with bread did not fill the heart with belief. Appreciation for a miracle did not translate into allegiance. So today's narrative of appetites need to mention some of the things that spoiled the appetites in that crowd so that they turned away. They were seeking the wrong thing. They were seeking political answers, uh, miracle answers, cultural answers. They were not seeking what God had for them. They had missed the focus of God's redemptive purpose throughout Old Testament history. And some of them just simply refused to believe. So from this, what are some applications for our own appetites? Can you and I identify things that might spoil our appetites for spiritual food? First and foremost, appetite spoilers affect those who've never ever placed their faith in Jesus. If we don't see the need and the emptiness, if we don't experience that hunger for a right relationship with God, we won't be drawn to him, the bread of life. If we are looking for our eternal security through living a good life, 
being part of a specific church, thinking that, you know, we, we learned about Jesus and understood in our heads years ago, then we miss out on all that God has in mind for us and our salvation. So if you find yourself not even knowing Jesus as your Savior, pray for that appetite, pray for that drawing, open your heart to all that is the good news of Jesus. But you know, even for people who are Christians and have been Christians a long time, appetite spoilers can affect our daily walk with Jesus. Have you ever been driven by expectations and what you thought ought to be happening in your life? How you thought it ought to be working out? Looking for what Jesus ought to be giving you rather than to Jesus himself. It's a common thing. I found myself many, many years ago uh, in a circumstance of life that was a normal season of life, caregiving for my older parents, a delight, a joy, and a wonder, but also a time when I thought I focused more on what Jesus was not doing than what he was. Uh, I asked him to change our circumstance, to deal with some of the things that made me worry and be fearful, uh, to help me have a sense of competence, and then not to sit with dread whenever I took my daddy to the doctor because there was likely to be more bad news. So I really wanted Jesus to change my circumstance. I knew he could. In fact, I expected him to fix my situation in some way or the other. So I wasn't really having an appetite for him, but for what he could do. My appetite was off. And when I realized that, I did appreciate, and I could all at once see what he was doing. And I thought, okay, here's a situation where I'm ready to soar spiritually. I am going to conquer this. I am going to just have such peace and grace that everybody will be astounded at me. <laughs> what a good Christian I am. <laughs> well, you know, I really wanted Jesus to make me a little poster girl. Self-help for the woman who wants to get life right. And that didn't happen. I was disappointed in myself. And you know what happened? I felt like Jesus must be disappointed in me. And that was not a good place to wallow, okay? And he showed me clearly what I had forgotten, that each day I wake up with him fresh and loved and encircled by grace. That gave me an appetite right then and there. It didn't matter what my circumstances were. I didn't necessarily expect him to move with me through a situation the way he had moved with me through another one. And so there's no telling what's down the road, but the first thing I want to do is make sure I have an appetite for the bread of life. It was more than enough to know that he was with me, and that's where we need to be. Another appetite spoiler is when you're just not feeling it. Oh, <laughs> and, um, you know, there are times when I'm not feeling it, and I think, if I go to church and get around all these spiritual people, it's going to show on my face because I'm not feeling it. And 
it must be a common experience because Becky Harlan put that into our lesson about when you're just not feeling it. Week one, what if you're just not feeling free from guilt? This week, what if you're just not feeling the love? Spoiler, next week, what if you're not really feeling safe where he has you? Becky continually points us back to the word of God and back to his character. Build yourself an emergency kit. Ask God to send up a red flag when you've got those feelings and go to where you've already written down. Oh, I don't feel loved this morning, but look at how I'm loved. I don't feel competent for what's ahead. My power comes from Jesus. He knows where I am. So keep your appetite ready for the bread of life and turn to it through the word of life that Jesus gave you. Uh, Another appetite spoiler is unbelief. For the Christian, unbelief can do a number on us. Uh, The homework lesson gave a definition of belief, being fully persuaded, having trust in a person beyond simply affirming with your mouth, or even saying, I understand this in my head. Uh, It involves belief that changes our perspective. It begins by trusting Jesus as Savior for eternal salvation, and then trusting in him as the one who is fully in control of my life here on earth. And so, how does that affect my spiritual appetite? I need to ask myself, when life is difficult, does that affect my belief in the goodness of who Jesus is? When one disappointment follows another disappointment, do I question if Jesus has my best interest at heart? Is my idea of what my best interest is something that I've put together in myself and held on tightly or I'm really believing am I really believing Jesus to be the whole of my spiritual need if I believe that my highest purpose in life is knowing Jesus delighting in him and bringing glory to him then I have an appetite daily throughout the day to know him in a deeper way so that I can fulfill the purpose for which he made me and the purpose for which he came into my life. So we want to pray for a healthy spiritual appetite. See if we are praying daily to know Jesus more and more, to be filled with him and his power. Perhaps you'd want to begin reading the book of John just from that standpoint of how he is addressing our need to believe, our appetites for Jesus. Nurture your appetite for the bread of life. For our physical lives, there are ways that we can enhance our physical appetite. In the same way we can nurture our appetite for spiritual food, we talked about these. Prayer, time in his word, a heart of gratitude for who he is and why he came into the world 
stillness before him because I don't often have an appetite to sit still. I look at my day and I want to get going. Being still, learning from those that God brings into my life and having fellowship with other believers so that when I do find my appetite spoiled, I can learn from my sister in Christ when she went through something very similar. The answer to all the appetite spoilers is in seeking Jesus Christ as the bread of life and finding all our desires met in him. John Piper said this in such a beautiful way and related it directly uh, (laughs) to the bread and loaves. I've given you just a little bit of an excerpt, but he says, Jesus did not come to be useful, but to be precious. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to assist you in meeting desires you already had before you were born again. He came into the world to change your desires so that he is the main one. He came to change those desires profoundly. It is called the new birth so that he is the central desire. He is the bread. He is the precious one. Well said, John Piper. (laughs) So let's pray together and and thank you for your attention. And uh, let's have new, renewed, consistent appetites for the bread of life. Dear Lord, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and all that we are learning about him in studying these I am statements. I pray, Father, uh, that we will have appetites for you, for all that you are, that we will nurture our appetites, that we will encourage other people in their appetites, and most of all, Lord, that it will be our delight and our joy to feed on you and to be with you in whatever circumstances we are. In Jesus' precious name, amen.